Hi, everybody. This is Roy from the Prog Report. Welcome to another Prog Report podcast. Uh, on this episode, rather than me interviewing somebody or one of our top fives or one of the other episodes that we normally do, have something a little bit different. I was recently asked to be a guest on a, another podcast called The European Perspective by a man named David Elliott. He invited me to come on and talk about my book, The Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums, the book that you no doubt have seen online or heard me talk about all the time. It was an interesting discussion. What he had me do is pick 10 songs from some of the albums that are in the book, and we would go about discussing those songs, those albums, those bands, and I thought it was an interesting discussion. So I wanted to share that with you. He was kind enough to let me have the audio for that so I could put it through to you guys and see what you think. He plays full songs throughout the podcast, so you'll hear some full songs on this one, kicking off with Enchants at Death's Door.
Welcome to the European Perspective, Roy. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, we're here today to talk about your book, um, which is a, a mighty tome, actually. It's a, a very nice-looking book, as well as a very interesting book to read, uh, called Thank Essential you. Modern Progressive Rock Albums. Uh, does what it says on the tin, I suppose. Images yep. and words behind Prague's most celebrated albums, 1990 to 2016. So, Roy, um, perhaps you'd like to sort of introduce yourself and, and tell us sort of where you're coming from, because... The Prog Report is, is, I guess, your main sort of music venture, isn't it? Yeah. Well, thank you again for having me in, and hi to everybody listening. Uh, yeah, the Prog Report has been a, a sort of a, a, a big part of my life for the last five years. We just celebrated our fifth year anniversary a, a couple of months ago, and uh, started as just a, a fun thing to do on the side, and has overtaken my life, so to speak. So. <laughs> Um, you know, I've been a, a, a big music fan. It's been the focus of my life for forever. I spent some years working in the record business. I still, uh, I still help out with uh, record labels, doing some promotion and, and dealing with a lot of bands in, in the prog world. So I have a lot of stuff that I do there. And mm-hmm. and then the uh, the prog report is just was simply a way uh, to share music that I was discovering that I found was not on the radio anymore or, or on videos or anything and I was sharing it all the time with my friends and I said well maybe I'll start a website and just write some reviews and see how that goes and I really evolved into something that uh, I never imagined and I certainly never saw myself writing a book but um, it seemed like uh, a good idea uh, 
topics that we had covered on the website, you know, were, were various lists and rankings and, and the like, as you know, take over the internet all the, all oh, the yes. time. Prog fans and, love their uh, lists. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and it makes for good debate uh, and it's fun. But um, the reason why really the, the purpose behind the book was was really two things. One, we did a list of uh, uh, top 50 modern albums, modern prog albums on, on the prog report back in 2015. And it really went off like gangbusters and it, it was the highest uh, visited article we had done in, in, in the time that the website had been up. And uh, moving a little bit later, the idea became, well, maybe turning that list into the book. Um, but one thing that always bothered me a little bit about the list was uh, some albums were left off that should have been there. And, and, and justifying what, you know, what's number 11 versus number 36? You know, it's, yeah. it's always it's fun to do. And I and I love lists and I'm all for it. But really, if it's if it's a book describing the story of an album, what does the ranking mean, matter at that point? You know? Yeah. So I found it as a way to put in an extra 20 or so albums that I felt also warranted inclusion, you know, and, yeah. and, um, it allowed me to, uh, go back and do some extra interviews and talk to a number of artists, everybody that is in the, all the albums that are in the book, rather are artists that I interviewed for the book were gracious. And it was just a fun time to put together. It took me almost two years to do. Yes. And, uh, probably six months in collecting photos alone. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's sort of, uh, the, the story behind it and, and where it happened. But the other thing that I wanted to mention of the focus was that part of the prog report and, and again, going back to the reason behind the book was I'm a big fan of the modern prog scene the last 25 years. That's really my era more than anything. Well, while I like the classics, I'm certainly a humongous fan of Genesis and yes, and King Crimson and mm -hmm. ELP and all those bands. Uh, I don't think anything ranks above those things, but um, I, I love all the new music that's been out in the last 20 years. And so when I did the website and the book, I, I said, well, let, there's a hundred other people covering Genesis and yes, we're going to focus on new stuff and really try and help new bands get their due. And, and, um, then that's, that's the purpose really. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, that's the brilliant thing about it is that the focus of, of the European perspective has always been more on the sort of modern modern stuff and uh it, we play lots of new releases and so on so this book it's sort of as from my perspective it's pretty unique actually in that it's focusing on albums released after 1990 which is um yeah which is which is an amazing thing was was there any particular reason why you chose 1990 as the the start date yeah well yeah it's actually funny the the list when again going back to the website list was done in 2015 so right away the num the 25 number fell yeah. into place easily so you could say well we could 25th is always a good anniversary thing and so you go back and there's 1990 so that worked out right away that was the initial reason but also when you start looking at it the 80s were there its own unique kind of prog thing you still had the classic 70s bands doing sort of pop records right so 90125 and invisible touch and all these things that were coming out and the 90s was when bands like Dream Theater and Spock's Beard and all those bands came to existence. And that was really the shift in the modern prog era. So 1990 was a good way to uh, allow us to say, OK, here's where this began. And I think it's a significant year, as it turns out. Yeah, I, th I think that's absolutely right. And you've, I think you've very wisely chosen to 
uh, list the albums chronologically. As you said, you didn't use rankings. I think that's very sensible. Otherwise, it just sparks off a whole bunch of uh, debates. And I'm sure there's been plenty right. about what you included and what you didn't include already. That's a whole separate debate as well. Yeah, absolutely. Which, was all, which I was already scared about, you know, people writing online. How dare he forget this album by this point? <laughs> You know, you've got to be quite thick-skinned, haven't you? Um, the 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 song we played just then, which is the first one that you've chosen. So basically, just just as as regular listeners to the show will know, um, I recently asked a, a whole bunch of um, of people who've been associated with the show, listeners and artists and so on, to choose their top ten uh, progressive rock albums since the year two thousand. Now, this is slightly different, obviously, because we're going back to nineteen ninety, and I asked you to choose um, ten from your book. And the first right. one you've selected in, in chronological uh, terms is, in chance, A Blueprint of the World. Uh, it's fascinating for me reading this book because Enchanter, a band I wasn't very familiar with, apart from the fact that Ted Leonard is now the singer in Spock's Beard. That's the only right. thing I knew. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, reading the book and reading what you were saying about them, they were clearly a, a pretty important force in the US, uh, the US prog movement. Yeah, I think that the the timing, I'm going back to 1995 when I first discovered the band and I heard that album. Uh, that was when myself and, and people that I knew were trying to find music that appealed to us from a more sub substantial basis, more intellectual, more gratifying than the grunge scene that was going on. Yeah, And, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, all that stuff was dominating and some of that stuff is fine, but it wasn't nearly progressive or interesting to me and luckily there were bands like Queensryche and Fate's Warning and Dream Theater which are also in the book um, but outside of them there wasn't much and we were always struggling to find where where can we get more of this music more of these bands that are making this and really a friend of mine stumbled upon Enchant and and their first album and we we loved it it's it right away falls into the uh, you know Marillion Dream Theater camp it's yeah. technical, it's melodic, the, the instrumentation is, is grand and, and epic, um, and Ted Leonard's voice is certainly uh, incredible. Um, and so the band really doesn't get their due for being, uh, in a way, pioneering in that time because they never had the hits or the massive sales to go along with it. They struggled in the beginning with, with bad record deals and and um, all, all sorts of licensing issues and things that went on at the time before they got to finally got to Inside Out and, and got some real promotion and and some push. But uh, this album is the fan favorite. It's the one that that they still play a lot of songs from at Death Stores, one of their known classics. And uh, so I felt like uh, rather than part of the discussion when you asked me to pick ten, you know, whenever I've done interviews and uh, and this book it's written about, it's always. Uh, it always refers back to the big bands, the Dream Theater, Stephen yeah. Wilson, Porcupine Tree, Opeth. Those are the big ones. Those are the ones with the most albums in, in the book, of course, and, and well-deserved. But I thought that um, I would use this opportunity to focus on uh, some bands and, and particularly some albums that uh, haven't been talked about as being in the book. Um, certainly some will be famous in their own right, for sure, as, well, as I'm sure we'll discuss. But in terms of not being discussed as being in the book i wanted to bring some attention to some other ones and enchant is a band that uh, has been around for many years they they reunited in 20 i think it was in 2014 and they're just, they're putting out a new box set actually right now yes which is uh which uh, is really nice and something that inside out is doing it looks great 
so yeah, that's that's. I think Enchant is a worthy uh, band to to check out for sure. Okay, a band who will be much more familiar to listeners to this show, of course, are the, the, the next choice on this, which is Marillion. Um, although there are some who might say, uh, and perhaps they're typically speaking a little older than uh, than, than maybe you are, because I think I think I'm I fall into that category of being a little mm-hmm. older. That by the time we got to Brave, um, Marillion were well, basically a very different band, obviously, by that stage. Right. Uh, and the album that you've, you've written about in, in the book is Brave, um, which was at the time considered to be a real sort of re- resurgence and a rebirth for Marillion. So right. what, was your, what was your way into that band? It's interesting because one of the things that I struggled with the website in general was what what is Marillion for the prog report? <laughs> yes. Because... The, the fish era is for many people the important era and for some people they don't listen to the band anymore since he left and then there's other people that the steve hogarth era is as big as anything is certainly they have yeah. one of the more massive followings of any band in existence really right now and dedicated and loyal so um, I wasn't really sure if uh, while being a, a, a fan to some degree not to the degree of of uh, how I feel about maybe some other bands, Dream Theater and, and so on, obviously, which I mentioned. Um, I wasn't sure if Marillion was uh, a classic band for what the Prague Report was or if they're really a current band. And so uh, because in the U.S., they're not as well known. Uh, and um, I know in Europe, they are humongous. So yes, that I had my own little bit of learning curve with Marillion and, and relearning the Hogarth era and, and finding some albums that maybe I missed along the way because in the U.S., again, it's not a band that was was very well known. I think right now they're really finally getting some attention here in the U.S. and they've been able to tour here and, and, and so on. So that might sound strange to the European audience that a lot of people in America don't really follow Marillion anymore past Kaylee, you know, that, <laughs> but, but it's true. And so um, so Brave was, uh, was an album that... Uh, uh, I, I just I think it's great, I, and I and I came to learn that uh, also with the vast Marillion audience, even the Fish fans, that that's one of the albums that they hold in high regard. It was uh, the third album with Steve Hogarth, and it's the album that brought them back to their prog roots. And uh, you know, Pete Travis talks about that in the book, where the record label wanted to keep pushing them in a in a pop direction, and they decided, no, we're not we're not having that anymore. And, and that ended up being a real turning point for the band and a, and a, and a, a jumping off point into what became a really successful era. Um, and so I think um, there's a lot of powerful moments in it. Uh, the Great Escape is a, is a really well-known yep. song and a fan favorite. Um, so, you know, I think it's an important album. I also have Marbles in the book, which I think maybe is considered even more lo- beloved. Uh, maybe you can speak to that being over there yeah i mean it I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask about it because i i fall into that sort of older category where um you know, my, my first experience of meridian was seeing them about three months before they released the market square heroes ep um at a tiny little place called the tunnel club in sheffield and it was called the tunnel club for a reason it was actually an old railway tunnel um, <laughs> nice and it was it was hot and sticky and yeah physically unpleasant uh, and it was the first time I'd seen Marillion. It was the first time I'd heard any of their music because they didn't have anything released at the time. 
um, and they were stunning. It was just, it was just an, an amazing show. Fish was a fantastic frontman. Um, I followed them through to the sort of the misplaced childhood years um, and then beyond. And then when Fish left, um, it wasn't that I, I particularly just lost interest in the band. It was I, I, it coincided with the time when I was doing other things um, than, than listening to music. Uh, and when I went back to them some years later, I wasn't particularly fond of what I was hearing. I think there's been some great moments. And in fact, Marbles, funnily enough, you mentioned that. That's one of that's one of the uh, the Hogarth era albums that I actually like the best. I, I, right. I, I really enjoy that album. Um, yeah. Brave, mm, yeah, I struggle with it. And and uh, I've, I've said this before on the show. I think it's a great album in the sense that I, it's well done, it's well written, it's well performed. And the fact that so many people love it means that it can't be dreadful right it's just not it's just not aimed at me it's not the sort of thing which i particularly enjoy um but having said that we're going to play a track because it would be unfair not to and lots of people 95 percent of the people listening to the show will enjoy it uh, the song we're going to play is alone again in the lap of luxury
Okay, that set started with Alone Again in the Lap of Luxury and Now Wash Your Hands uh, from uh, Marillion's Brave album, which is one of the, the choices that Roy Avin has made for us for the show uh, and which is also in his book Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums. Um, and we followed that with uh, another of Roy's choices, which is from the first Liquid Tension Experiment album, um, the song's called Kindred Spirits. The album's just called Liquid Tension Experiment. Um, and of course, they're a supergroup, aren't they, Roy? So you you said you were you, you elected not to choose any um, any dream theatre stuff for this show, uh, but you've snuck a bit of sort of dream theatre type of thing. Going yeah, on, exactly. You? <laughs> well, you know, this one. God, I think most people know this band and this album, but. This was a really significant one for me. Um, I really wasn't a big instrumental album guy. You know, the occasional prog band would have an instrumental song, which would be great. Yeah. But I always then felt, okay, where's the song with the vocals? Um, but I was such <laughs> a big fan of Petrucci at the time and, and uh, of course, Mike Portnoy. And, and uh, I didn't know Jordan Rudis then yet. But, of course his introduction into this environment, into this fan base and everything, uh, changed the scope of dream theater, changed, changed the, the totally. landscape of yeah. progressive music. So it's a really significant album because that's where they bonded with him and realized we have to put this guy in the band. It's just too, too special what we're, what we're writing. And, um, and right after that followed scenes from a memory and six degrees. And really the band became bigger than ever after uh, his addition to the group. So, I think it's a good way to to talk about that and mention it. But some some of the stuff on the liquid tension experiment was at the time we're talking 1998, I believe. Yes. Uh, just mind blowing virtuosity on it, unlike anything I had ever heard at the time. I mean, they just went all out insanity on it, and uh, really made me a big instrumental album fan. Uh, you know, then they did a second Liquid Tension album uh, a couple, uh, maybe a year later, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, and after that, they put Jordan Rudis into Dream Theater and stopped uh, doing LTE. But I think there's a lot of people that would love a reunion of just that. There's, of course, Mike Porton was no longer in Dream Theater, and this would be a great way to get those guys together and put out something great. Um, you know, I, I need to mention also that one of the big names in the book uh, is Mike Portnoy, who is in a, I believe it's 12 or 13 albums uh, that are in yes. this book. Um, but uh, again, it seems like a lot, but when you've been in 100 bands like he has been in and 150 albums, 12 isn't that much. It's impossible to not include him uh, you know, as much as I did. Uh, in fact, I was it's been told to me there's albums I should have added, but really then it would have been <laughs> a bit much. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's been, another uh, book, the, the Mike yeah. Portnoy story. Yeah, really. I mean, look, the guy is uh, as important as any name in, in modern Prague, uh, and he he carries the, the, the flag of, of all these unknown bands and introduces bands and brings bands on tour when he can, and, I, you know, what can you say? So it's important to mention his importance and the genre, like him or not, it's undeniable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he he got himself into a spot of bother here um, when he was on tour a couple of years ago with um, with Neil Morse, um, and I think he had a virus uh, when he was, he was sick. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was not very well. And uh, there was there was he made a 
probably an ill-advised social media post about his experience of the English National Health Service, which is a beloved. <laughs> it's almost as beloved an institution as Marillion here. Um, <laughs> albeit, but yeah, I remember that, and it, that was unfortunate. But you got to watch what you say sometimes online. I don't. Th- obviously, I don't think he meant anything too bad but i'm sure he did taken out of context what do you, you know it's unfortunate absolutely I, and i've i've seen him in loads of bands as you say you know transatlantic and uh uh dream theater and uh, with neil morse uh he, he just gets everywhere um, I, I, yeah. I miss the shattered fortress ones but uh i can't remember no, those were great too yeah oh, they're good oh good excellent yeah um, and we mentioned we just mentioned Neil Morse there, of course. And uh, your next your next choice uh, features Mr. Morse writ large, really, which is um, Spock's Beard's V album. I never know whether they call it V or Five. Is is there a, is there a can, canonical way of doing it? You know, I think it's V. Yeah. Uh, I've always believed it was V, but but it is their fifth album, so that's yeah. the double entendre there, I guess. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, look. Uh, it was hard to pick one uh, album. They have uh, Spock's Beard has four albums featured in the book, three yeah. with Neil Morris and, and one with Ted Leonard in the in the later era. Um, but uh, V is uh, considered one of the highlights of the band. My my personal favorite. If I was picking my personal favorite album, it's the first one, The Light. Yes. Um, for some people, it might be Snow. But V seems to be the one that is the 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 center point the most accessible one the one that that is the, i think perhaps overall the most popular from what i've gathered from audiences and, and people that read what we do um you know it, it it's book ended by two epics at the end of the day and and the great nothing which is near 30 minutes and the longest epic the band ever did and then a lot of shorter intricate pop songs in, in the middle so it covers a lot of what the band was doing throughout that era with with neil morrison and you know for me spock's beard is is just a super important significant band i think that without them uh being a a u.s prog band bringing the 70s classic style uh you would have had really only the dream theater metal prog stuff yeah and um and that was great but spock's beard was a completely different animal uh, you know, Neil Morris at his core is a singer-songwriter, yeah. and we, a lot of stuff was on acoustic guitar and piano and organic instruments, and added on to that was this amazing progressive instrumentality and soloing, and Nick DiVirgilio, of course, is a, a genius on the drums, who's also in Big Big Train, um, amazing band throughout, but at the core, he's a great songwriter, and, uh, and that's why Spock's beard was, was so significant. Okay, so we'll play one from V now. This is Thoughts Part 2. I thought I'd come to you and say All the things I had on my mind I thought it might be really great To show you how I feel inside Then I think Maybe not
in my heart I just can't look the other way And wait for us to grow apart Then I think What's the point? I 
find with these restrictions I'm more deaf than blind No matter where I look I'm under attack Whichever road I took I always came back there you heard Thoughts Part 2 from Spock's Beard's V album um, another of uh, Roy Avin's choices from his, uh, his Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums book uh, and then back over, we seem to be flip-flopping between the US and the UK at the moment Roy after that we heard um, IQ with You Never Will taken from their, uh, their 2004 album Dark Matter now IQ are an interesting band to me because they're, again they're another one of those that I saw live years and years and years ago when they were first starting out uh i first saw them in the marquee club it, mm. this was this was round about the time they just released tales from the lush attic uh, mm-hmm. which was one of the first progressive rock albums in the new the so-called new wave right. that was released in the uk um and we all absolutely loved it every, every, you know, my circle of friends and i were sort of obsessed by this uh, but then equally obsessed by the, you know, the, their live performances at the time because Pete Nichols is, was, is just a stunning frontman to this yeah. day. Um, and by the time we get to Dark Matter, again, they were another one of these bands that I sort of lost touch with. Um, and I heard this uh, when it was released. I thought, well, I should, I should try dipping into it again. You know, I'd, I'd heard Subterranea and didn't think it was that great and I you know, wasn't too sure about some of the other stuff they had since Pete Nichols had rejoined. This one sort of rekindled my interest. Um I'm interested in how you know someone from the other side of the Atlantic actually got into IQ and uh, and you know, came to choose this for your book. Yeah, it's interesting because this is again another band that um, if you're listening to music in the U.S. in the late '80s, '90s, early 2000s, there's you don't know of IQ I'm here. Sure you don't, no. <laughs> and um, and certainly I didn't. And and the only thing I knew about IQ, which is interesting, because when I was younger um, and uh, trying to get started in working record labels, I, I spent a brief period working with a record importer uh, in, in, down here in Florida, which is where I live. And um, this is before Amazon and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And this yeah. company would import albums from all over the world, in UK and Japan and CD singles and all that stuff. It was a really fun time because there was all this great stuff you could find that wasn't released in the States, you know, different versions of albums with bonus tracks and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, a big seller and one that was always talked about was IQ. And um, I, I, the only one I, kn- I knew because it was the one that was talked about I was Subterranean. And I'll be honest, it didn't hit me. You know, it wasn't it like you said, but it's like considered a classic really album for them going back. But for me at the time, it it didn't hit me. And I said, okay, it's not a band I'm going to like. And that's it. I really 
for a couple more decades didn't pay any attention um but um you know it's a band like again like marillion where i said okay a lot of people know about this band this is a significant band let me go back and see what i missed and discover some of these albums and revisit this band and man uh, uh harvest of souls harvest of souls um blew, blew me away like I, I from dark matter the long epic i think yeah. it's one of the greatest songs ever written and uh it's so amazing i can listen to it at any time and uh and that was really my jumping off point because i was just doing research where do you start where do you start and i kept coming back to people saying that song that song so i said okay i'll check out that song and really that that changed my whole outlook on the band um and the reason why i chose this album rather than some of the others um one because of that song i think it's significant uh, but also it's the last album with Martin Orford before he left. Yes. Absolutely. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, that's an interesting story. And that is, that's important to know. So uh, in talking with Michael Holmes and doing an interview with him for the book, and we got to talking a little bit about that and, uh, and about Martin leaving during the beginning of uh, workings of frequency, which was the next album. And, uh, a lot of interesting stories there. And I asked him about, because you read a lot about the Supper's Ready comparison with, with <laughs> Harvest of Souls. And, uh, you know, he, he claims he doesn't hear it, doesn't see it. <laughs> I think I think maybe it's there a little bit more than than uh, maybe he notices. But um, yeah. I, I don't think in a uh, sort of stealing type of way, I, I would never say that. Um, just the stylistically, I think it's a little bit there, but, but it's a great song. It, it's truly one of the great prog songs of the last 15 years, I think. No, I mean, there's some of their influences. I think every band is, um, the, the joke that's often made about Harvest of Souls is it is a great song. It's really good. And it was just as good when Genesis wrote it in 1973. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but, uh, that's probably a little bit unfair or 1972, I should say. Um, and I keep, what, the one thing I will say about them is they know how to construct an epic, um, I mean, all you have to do is listen to the last human gateway on on Tales from the Lush Attic, and you know that um, that they've always been able to to do that and to sort of command that type of epic style very well. Yeah, and okay, it's so, a band I have, unfortunately haven't had the chance to see, um, and I hope to want to get a chance. to Yeah, see I them. saw them. Um, I saw them fairly. The last the last time I saw them was a couple of years ago, um, but. Um, yeah, I, for me it was the eighties. I saw them loads of times during the eighties. Uh, they, they were more or less resident at the Marquee Club in Wardour Street at one point. Um, you know, a, another incredibly sort of sweaty venue, <laughs> um, yeah. but a lot of fun. Uh, so we're, we're moving to a band who, yeah, who who was sort of newish by the time that the album, which we're going to talk about, was released, which is Haken. Um, in fact, they've, they've got a new one in the pipeline at the moment. I think it's been released yeah. a bit later this year. Um, the album you've chosen is Visions, which is their second record, or their third if you include the the sort of the demo versions type one that they didn't really have a name for, but that was around a lot beforehand. But it was their right. their second sort of full, full-scale CD release. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, again... A British band. How did they come onto your radar in the US? Uh, the timing of this worked out well. So around, this was the time when I had already started the Prog Report, and so now I'm paying more attention to albums online and getting press releases and things. And and so um, 
I, I I started to hear about this band through that that chatter. Yeah. And the Mountain was the first album, which is the the third album, the one that came out after Visions. Yes. It was the first Haken album that I heard, and it's, <laughs> I mean, that's one of the brilliant albums ever. Yeah, it's uh, a monster, isn't it? <laughs> it's a, it's amazing, and there was a really big shift in the U.S. for Prague in 2013, 2014. That's the 2013. A ton of great albums came out. A lot of them are in this book, um, and it was really what drove me to start the whole thing because I said, "Well, I, there's all these amazing albums coming out. This hasn't it hasn't been like this in years." And right a, right after all of that, Mike Portnoy announces he's doing this Progressive Nation at Sea Cruise for the early part of 2014, and every band on that list was bands that I either loved like crazy or had never heard of or seen. Um, bands like Riverside, Haken, mm -hmm. some of these bands, Devin Townsend, I'd never seen. And so everybody went on this cruise. It was, a, it did really well. I think at least we enjoyed it to hell and That's Transatlantic was the feature band and, uh, John Anderson joined in, uh, with singing with them. It was, gr it was a great time, but I got to see and discover so many bands that I would never have had a chance to see before. And Haken being one of them and, their live performances and uh, everything just blew me away. And I think since then, really, they have become the band that can carry the the, the prog metal uh, movement forward. They are at the top of the list of the next crop of bands. So let's hear something from Visions. This is Shapeshifter.
two there uh, from Roy Avin's choices from his Essential Modern Progressive Rock albums. It would have been nice to do a show. We played all of them, but I think we'd probably be here for the rest of the year, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. That was, uh, yeah, as, as I say, Haken there. Um, they've got a new album out. It's later this year, I believe. Is it sort of Vector. October time? I October 26th, I want to say, Vector, and uh, yeah. hopefully I, I imagine a new single will be on the way soon. I can't wait to hear that. It probably will be. Mm. Um, and that that was followed by uh, a band from Stateside, which is Thank You Scientist, from their uh, their first record, I think it is, Maps of, a non- Maps of Non-Existent Places. That was Blood on the Radio. Now these, yeah, this, we were, earlier on I was asking you how... Uh, how these British bands came to your attention, but thank you, scientist. I guess you know, a, a US band probably making uh, bigger waves over there than they are here. Not that well known in the UK. Unfortunately, still not that well known here, and that's, and that's a shame. Um, I think they're one of the most incredible bands and live bands and, and unique sounding bands that uh, I've heard in years. And so, whenever I get a chance to scream from the rooftops about a band someone should check out i always try and throw thank you scientists in i've gotten to know the guys a little bit uh my discovery of them is is a really great story uh there's a convention in in uh, california every year called nam i don't know if you're familiar with that i know of it certainly yeah it's a it's it's the biggest music instrument convention it's massive and so, uh, you know, guitar stores and musicians from all over the world go there for uh, maybe a, almost a week and, uh, you know, look at guitars and drums and saxophones and, and whatever you want. There's there's a whole wing of, you know, maracas. Everything is there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you walk by a guitar booth and you'll see, you know, uh, John Petrucci sitting there trying out the new a new guitar and, and you can walk up and say hello. It's crazy. Huh. It's an amazing time. So I had the fortunate uh, opportunity to go for a few years uh, during some period. And I had a friend who was sponsored by a guitar company named Vigier, which uh, is a, a, an Italian company. It makes the most beautiful guitars and they make these amazing fretless guitars. Yes. Uh, and they're unbelievable. I can't imagine even knowing how to play a fretless guitar, but certainly <laughs> that's easy, something in itself. And, uh, so I met. So they said, uh, "Well, we're having this. Uh, a lot of these record companies they do these shows, private shows for p- guests. And you go after the the day of all the buying and selling. You go to a hotel, a ballroom, or something, and or a venue, and you you have they have a little thing with some bands playing. And um, uh, the Aristocrats were were a band that I got to see there, mm-hmm. and that's why I, I went to see it because I was a big fan of Guthrie Govan and. Marco Miniman and and certainly they were amazing, and then the next band that played was this band, Thank You Scientists, which I had never heard before, and I'm not, I was completely blown away. They are a seven piece band, uh, two violinists, a, a horn player. Uh, Tom Mondo is is one of the underrated guitar geniuses you'll ever see. He plays the the fretless guitar. He's a master, um, and they're all fairly young. And uh, they do. Uh, it's this great mix of Frank Zappa, the Beatles, Rush, all sorts of crazy stuff, and it's just amazing. And I, I, I they had a second album come out uh, a couple years ago. Yeah, Stranger Has Prevailed, which is also amazing. And uh, I know they're still touring right now. They're still a band. They've they've swapped a few members out, but they they were on a recent cruise to the edge, and they're they're still doing their thing. I 
implore everybody to check them out. I think you'll really be impressed. I was very lucky to hear about them because um, one of my, my friends, uh, Simon Godfrey, um, of Tiny Fish and Shineback fame, sure. um, his his wife, Stacy is is from Philadelphia, uh, and she was a huge Thank You Scientist fan, you know, seeing them in clubs in their very early days. So she sort of fed a lot of this stuff back to Simon, and Simon sort of fed it back to us. He lives in the US now. Um, in Philadelphia, so yeah, great band. Absolutely love them to bits. Um, it would be nice to see them in the UK, but of course, logistically speaking, that is very difficult these days. I think they did maybe a couple of tours over the okay. years over there, but yeah, it is tough. It is you know for for you look for a band like Marillion to come to America is hard. Yeah, right. So you can imagine on the opposite end, uh, very difficult, uh, and a, a tiny band with seven members, no less, to yeah. to come or in the in Europe is it's a difficult challenge these days. Just getting all the visas and stuff is hard enough. Yeah. Okay, so we're, we're going to move on now to uh, an, an album from one of the most British British bands you can possibly imagine, which is Big Big Train. Yeah. Um, and the the one that you've written about in in your book is English Electric. Um, which of course was a two a two segment album. They they released it in two parts in consecutive years. Uh, so I, I I guess Big Big Train you probably heard about through the the prog report and, and press releases and so forth. What's funny is uh, I was they kind of slipped under the radar for me for for a long time, and but because of my uh, knowledge and, and and fandom of Spock's beard. And Nick DiVirgilio, yeah. uh, you know, I, I found out that he was their drummer. Yeah. And, uh, and so I said, well, that can't be bad. <laughs> let, me <laughs> check, let me check that out. And uh, I think the first thing I heard was the, the, the first English Electric uh, uh, album with the, the first rebreather as opening track. And I mean, if you're a fan of classic Genesis and, and that kind of stuff and you put on that song, there is no way for you to not have a, a humongous smile on your face. Yes, it it is so inviting and just amazing sounding. Everything about this band is absolutely like you said, British sounding, but they're just spectacular. And I am so happy for their success right now. I think they're doing, from every indication, really, really well. And, um, you know, they're charting in in Europe now and and they just released this amazing double live album, Merchants of Light, which is it is it sounds so great. It's it's unbelievable how they got that thing to sound so good. But um, that's uh, uh, I, I can't say enough about how much I love this band. I think they're one of the top three, four bands in the world. Yeah, that's in, in prog circles. They're certainly riding, riding very, very high at the moment. Um, as you said, number two in the rock albums chart, um, just announced this week with with Merchants of Light. Um, we're going to play one from English Street One. Actually, this is Hedgerow. <laughs>
First you heard Big Big Train with Hedgerow from English Electric, of course. Um, the, the first of the, the, the two-parter monster that is English Electric Full Power and featured in Roy Avon's book Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums. Um, and then after that, you uh, again were flip-flopping again over to the US. <laughs> are, the, are the Deer Hunter American or are they Canadian? American. They're American. Okay. I, I, I never know. I, 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 sh- I should read more. Um, <laughs> that was The Bittersweets, parts uh, four and five, The Congregation and the Sermon in the Slit. I, yeah, that's a nice uh, mouthful, that title. They yeah. do like their long song titles, don't they? They do, they and do. And that's from <laughs> Act 4, Rebirth and Reprise. Um, the Deer Hunter, again, they're a band that I, I sort of heard about. I can't even remember where I first heard about them. I think I was just sort of skimming through various forums and someone said, if you like um, a more sort of organic, folksy approach, as well as progressive rock, you'll probably enjoy The Deer Hunter. I think the first one I heard was the second one, Act 2. I can't even remember the title of it. Um, but Act 4 certainly was was one which got them a lot of plaudits. Um it, it, I mean, is are are they a band that you followed since the start, or is it, are they against? No, unfortunately, another band that that I missed. Um, I I got into them around this time uh, with Act Four, and uh, I, I this is another band with uh, with the Thank You Scientists and the Haken, where when, when people say, "Well, what's a good band I should check out?" It's another name that I I include. Yeah, uh, I think they are. Um, uh, just so interesting, you know, uh, Casey Crescenzo is the, the mastermind behind it. He's the main guy. He writes all the material and, uh, had this vision for this, uh, what he calls a six part series from the beginning yeah. when he did first act one, um, and, uh, released the first few albums, took a break, came back and wrote act four and five together and released act four first. And for me, act four is the most appealing. It, it it is the most diverse musically. Every song on it is a completely different genre. And he is able to go through each one with ease and an expert. uh, uh, He's an expert in the styles and um, they're all catchy. There's orchestration. There's different repeating themes. There's themes in the fourth album that are from the first album, and there are hidden clues in there. And it it's just a masterwork, really. I don't. I can't think of another band that has done uh, such a long series of albums yeah. together in this way. And um, Act Five again, also just brilliant. There's some just emotional powerhouse moments on that one that are amazing now act six he hasn't released yet and hasn't said what it is but he said it might wouldn't necessarily be an album (laughs) so that's no one knows what's happening there with that but i think that uh they are they're on the folksier side of things they're not very heavy they're they are uh you know he doesn't growl there's none of this metal it's not metal it's 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 not entirely prog, really, in the traditional sense, because there's no soloing or inst- crazy instrumentality. It's more progressive in the in the the way he approaches the music and in the intellectual nature of it. I think is is why people like it that are prog fans. Yeah, I it's think very I, intelligent music. I think I'd agree with that. It's it's um, it's more about the sensibilities that he's observing in writing the music and and putting the album together. 
Um, and I, I love that record. I think it's fantastic. Great. So before we talk about your final choice, um, I think it's worth uh, worth stating where people can get their hands on the book, actually, Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums, which I highly recommend. Uh, I've read the whole thing cover to cover, and I did enjoy it. I didn't do it out of a sense of duty. It was actually a, a, an excellent read, and I, I recommend that everyone sort of seeks it out and, and gets their hands on a copy. So where can they do that? Uh, well, uh, progreport.com, of course, um, and uh, on Amazon, and also for uh, Europe listeners, Amazon UK has it. And, yes. uh, and I believe in the UK you get, or in, uh, maybe it's just the UK, but not in Europe, but in UK there's free shipping, from what I understand. So Yes, I think if you've got uh, Prime, I, if you've got Amazon yeah, Prime. Yeah, I think so. Yes. So, uh, yeah, you can get that there. Um, and, um, yeah, I think uh, if you're a prog fan... I think you'll enjoy the book. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I try to really do is uh, a lot of prog books that have come out prior that covered the genre as a whole always include maybe a tiny chapter in the end about Dream Theater and Stephen Wilson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I tried to actually make a whole book about that. And and and, uh, and so I think that it's a nice co- nice addition to uh, any, any prog book collection. I'd agree with that. And the, the, one of the nice things I liked about it is that as well as the 50 50- the 50 main articles you've got at the back of you, you've got a few more which you, you've popped in there is sort of also you know just just didn't make, quite make the cut um and those are some interesting choices as well including people like Anglegard and uh um kevin gilbert's amazing the shaming of the true album so it's, it's, it's brilliant to read that i'm not going to spoil it for for the listeners because they <laughs> really do need to go out and buy the thing is a whole there's album. 70 albums that are mentioned either in the full chapter form or in the in the appendix yeah, absolutely yeah. <laughs> we covered that Covers a lot. Yeah, you can you could spend a lifetime just seeking them all out and listening to them all. And uh, great, really, really good read. And uh, thank you. W- quite an achievement. So, Roy, uh, thank you for uh, taking part in the show. Uh, let's talk a bit about um, the last choice on your list. You've chosen another from uh, the master singer songwriter Neil Morse. Uh, but from his most recent album, the Neil Morse Band's Similitude of a Dream. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's actually quite a special album to me because I, I went to Rosfest last year and saw them do the whole thing. Oh, um, cool. And it was splendid. Neil Morse did his bit where he runs into the audience with his guitar. He loves to do that, yeah. And he almost fell over my legs. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there we go. He almost fell into my lap. Um, but no, yeah. So, Well, it's the last... Uh, album covered in the book yeah uh, and it 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 was uh, I felt like it was important enough that since the book was coming out um, in 2017 that I would extend the book one more year and I include a couple albums from 2016 and um, I felt like this album would be one that years from now I would regret that I didn't include in the book so that was why that uh, edition was made at the last minute and uh, look I think that one of the most significant artists uh, in this modern era of Prague, along with guys like Mike Portnoy and, and Stephen Wilson, is Neil Morse. And uh, he's as prolific as anybody. He has maybe two albums a year and with one band or another that comes yeah. out. And uh, he just can't help himself but write music. That's just all he does. He's, he's a genius at it. I've gotten to know him. And a uh, brilliant, nice guy who really just cares about the music um and i and and i think it's important that people um 
take the music for what it is and not let the fact that he has a, a religious aspect to some of his music overshadow the brilliant nature of of the compositions um you know for some people that's a hard thing to get over and fair enough um you know i myself am not religious to that aspect and and it doesn't hit me in that way for some people that's the only reason why they like his music so but i i can't help but deny that the genius of of the songwriting and the and to me that's his message is his message so i i felt like i wanted to say if you haven't checked out this double album and the amazing compositions and the different styles and the diversity in it and the playing of gene guitar geniuses like eric gillette who's a guitar hero for the next generation he's a young guy he's amazing he's an amazing voice um the whole band bill hubauer is keyboardist plays like 10 instruments and has this amazing voice and of course portnoy is in this <laughs> band yes, again who pops up uh you know and randy george on bass so this is a spectacular band um and uh i think it's worth exploring if gavin given his prior solo output a shot because you maybe thought it's not going to be for me i think this one is accessible i think that it's uh very appealing and uh has some of the best music that he's ever done so that's why i included it here i think um you know it's it's a good one to check out if you if you gave up on neil morris and spock's beard once he left i would recommend this album i think I- it's that good I would join you in that recommendation. Um, I, I'm not a Christian either, and I, I, I love Neil Morse's solo stuff. Uh, Question Mark is probably one of my top ten albums of all time. I, I, as, a, as a progressive rock album, it's just absolutely unassailable. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to play one from Similitude of a Dream. So before I do that, Roy, thank you very much for taking part. And, thank uh, you, David. This was a lot of fun. To, to the, the format you have, the, the inclusion of the songs, the going through the albums, it's a really fun way to do it, and I had a, a great time. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, good luck with the book. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's doing very well. I hope it goes from strength to strength, and hopefully European perspective listeners will, uh, will add to that. Uh, the song awesome. we're going to play from, uh, uh, from The Similitude of a Dream is makes no sense. Makes no sense to me 